Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Juliana Lamb, who's the co-founder and CTO at Stitch. How are you, Juliana? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, super excited to have you joining us. Um, been hearing a lot about Stitch in the in the kind of general ecosystem. So excited to hear from you um, what you are all about. So maybe you could start by giving us a quick introduction on the company. Definitely. So my co-founder, Reed, and I met working at Plaid a few years ago, and we both basically worked on projects related to authentication and sort of saw firsthand the downsides of passwords, both from a security perspective with things like uh, credential stuffing, account takeover attacks, but then also from a user conversion standpoint and just how many people, you know, drop off at password entry, password reset, et cetera. Um, and so a lot of that work sort of sparked some of the ideas for what we're working on here at Stitch, which is basically building a developer platform for passwordless authentication, making it really easy for people to integrate the myriad of different ways that you can do passwordless authentication and sort of navigate that transition as um, more and more companies start to go passwordless. So I guess the question in my mind is like nowadays, it seems like most sites have a social login or, you know, a, if it's B2B, they probably have some sort of like SSO op- option. If it's B2C, social logins. So what are the advantages of the passwordless platform like Stitch versus um, kind of the, the norm of the social or SSO logins? Yeah, it's a great question. And we support logins like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, all of those. Um, And basically, a lot of the value comes from getting those out of the box, as well as the other options you might want to offer. We see a lot of people um, doing something like email magic links side by side with a Google and Microsoft if you're more B2B, or maybe it's um, Google, Apple, Facebook if you're more consumer with that magic link experience. Uh, Another piece is if you want to do multi-factor authentication and have some concept of step-up auth, like an SMS one-time passcode, WebAuthn, et cetera. And so I think we see those as as really compelling options, but one out of a sort of set of different authentication factors that a company might want to offer. And with us, you get all of those out of the box. And for those that aren't familiar, uh, what's a magic link? Yeah, so a magic link is basically a one-time use token that uh, is appended to a link that you get via email or text message. And you click that link and the one-time use token um, is what enables you to authenticate and be magically logged into your account. Got it. So I'm on a website and I need to log in. I press a, I type in my email address. It sends me a link. That link has a, 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 a you know, a, kind of uh, a long obscure URL, but there's a button there. I click it, it navigates me to that obscure URL, which instantly logs me into the site. And it's like a one-time use thing. So that way I never need to type in my password. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but the that model assumes that the user trusts your email and, and you can trust the user's email as basically a way to prove that they are logged in and prove who, that they are who they say they are. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And if you think of probably nine out of 10 password reset experiences you have, they are essentially an email magic link experience, but with a bunch of extra steps tacked on top um, that involve creating that new password, logging in again, et cetera. And so if you're already relying on um, the security of the inbox to reset a password, it provides just a much better uh, user experience to do that magic link out of the gate. Um, and then it also sort of closes the um, vulnerability of account takeover because there is no password concept. And so you then aren't sort of reliant on um, the weakest link with where a user has reused that password that they're using with your site. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that, you know, aside from kind of account takeovers, credential stuffing is another concerns with passwords. Um, what is credential stuffing? I'm curious. Yeah, so whenever there's a hack out there, um, passwords are compromised. Basically, attackers will take those stolen passwords and um, stuff them through a login form somewhere to see if they can um, match an account that is using that same password. And so they'll basically um, sort of do credential stuffing to then figure out where they can um, do the account takeover attack. Got it. So basically, they have some compromised list of usernames and passwords, and they try a bunch of them in a site to figure out which ones are legit, and then use that to, to take over your account. Exactly. I'm curious, you mentioned SMS passcodes as one of the options that Stitch supports. What I've been hearing more and more about how SMS two-factor auth is not really secure. Some of the reasons I've heard of like SIM swapping, or the fact that like it can still be fished. So I'm, I'm curious, like, do you what do you see as like the future of SMS for use in passcodes? Is it more of a temporary thing, or is there a long term and maybe a way to make it more secure? Yeah, definitely. So I think it comes down to um, sort of the value of the account that you're protecting. Uh, SIM swap attacks are pretty expensive to execute. And so you see a lot of them happening in like the crypto world where the account that you're taking over is, is super valuable and you can do a lot of damage um, really quickly there. And so for a lot of um, use cases, SMS passcodes are, are still um, reasonable just because it won't make sense from a financial perspective for someone to go through the effort of um, doing a SIM swap attack. There's a lot of like social engineering that you need to go through. You need to convince a customer support agent basically to like let you take someone else's phone number. Um, you can also call your um, your phone provider and require that somebody go in person and show ID to be able to um, move uh, the phone number from one phone to another so that you can't um, so that somebody can't do that like on the phone with support, which is typically how these attacks are happening. Um, so for accounts that there is a lot of value there and SMS isn't um, going to be the right way to protect it, what you can do is something like an authenticator app. Um, so Google Authenticator, et cetera, or something like WebAuthn, which basically enables YubiKeys as well as Touch ID um, on desktop, Face ID on mobile, et cetera. And so uh, we see those as, as being really powerful options. And sometimes depending on um, the sophistication of your users and the type of account you have, um, sometimes people will offer you know all three of those and sort of leave it up to the user to figure out, okay, what makes sense um, for me, how I'm using this account, et cetera. Um, but there definitely are some considerations to, to keep in mind there when you're thinking about what two-factor to implement. 
So let's explore a bit more what it looks like to actually use Stitch. So imagine I'm building a new web web or mobile, some sort of new application. Um, what's the process for integrating Stitch? How, how does it work? Yeah, definitely. So we have two main integration options. One is a client-side SDK. Um, so you know, install a couple lines of JavaScript and sort of get that out of the box. We also have a direct API integration with um, you know, client library support, et cetera. And we, we see both of those as, as really valuable and sometimes having um, slightly different profiles of people that want to use them. Uh, people really like the backend API integration as an option if they're trying to um, own more of their UX and sort of like brand experience. Or maybe they're trying to do something like step up authentication from within a logged in session. So somewhere within your application, user goes to take a more sensitive action. You want to do a step up at that point in time. That backend API integration just gives you sort of maximum flexibility in terms of how you integrate this into your workflows. Um, and then the the SDK option can be really powerful if you know you don't want to be spending any time thinking about auth. You want to be focusing on building your core product. Uh, just drop something in and get a really great uh, experience out of the box. And you can still customize that um, in a lot of ways so that it, it does look and feel like your application. Uh, embed it within your homepage. All of that is possible with the uh, client side SDK as well. Got it. So do do those client side SDKs take care of the like, do you can you do a UI out of the box around these auth experiences, or is that more up to the UI developer who leverages your SDK to to build React components or other UI on top of your APIs? Yeah, so you can get that out of the box and then customize things like um, you know the font, etc., so that it still is your brand elements, but you don't have to um, build the whole form experience and all of that. Um, you'll get that out of the box. We do some cool things there as well. So for email magic links, for example, um, once the user enters their email, we will show a couple options uh, to click a link to go to Gmail or um, your other email providers, and it'll run a search for um, the email information that will show the email magic link. Um, so you don't have to yeah, look through your inbox. It just sort of one click and you are like, shown that email magic link at the top. That's super clever. So it like it links you into Gmail with a search parameter for Stitch or Exactly. Yeah, that, that's cool. Um, and I'm curious, you mentioned step step up off. Um, I'm not familiar with that concept. So can you explain that a bit more? Definitely. So um, this basically bifurcates uh, different types of access from within your application. So a really common use case would be uh, enabling read-only access to an account with one authentication factor. So maybe you do an email magic link to get read access to your account. You can navigate, see all the information there. But then when you go to take a more sensitive action, like maybe updating a shipping address or viewing billing information, things that could be potential fraud vectors, that's when you would get a step-up authentication and do something like an SMS one-time passcode um, or other uh, two-factor. And basically what that enables is a really low friction experience for you know the nine times out of 10, you're browsing your account and you're probably not doing too many actions. Um, and so it's uh, a bit superfluous to always have two-factor when um, you might not be taking an action that uh, can really do too much damage. 
right? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Stripe uses this concept, this paradigm a lot. Like, because I find myself, I'm in Stripe a lot and I'm browsing around, I'm doing read-only actions and suddenly I want to modify something and it's like, oh wait, just confirm, put in your username and password, confirm is actually who you say you are. Um, so I guess, it, you know, maybe, not sure if they pioneered it or who pioneered it, but I guess it sounds like more and more companies are adopting that paradigm. Yeah, definitely. GitHub is another example that we'll point to. Um, yeah, if you go to update like an, a repo setting or something, they'll make you go through another authentication event. I'm curious, um, I, I'm looking through some of the products you, you offer on your site, and session management is one. And um, this is a concept we talked about. Um, we had uh, one of the founders of Clerk, which is kind of another company in your space on a few weeks ago, and we talked a bit about the importance of session management. But um, for folks who did not listen to that episode, could you give us a quick overview of like what is session management, why is it complex, and why is it nice that Stitch helps you handle that? Yeah, definitely. So after a user goes through an authentication event, you basically verified that that is the person that they say they are, right? And then you need to be able to um, know who that user is for the duration of their logged in session, understand what permissions they have, um, is that session still active, or do they need to go through another authentication event? Something really cool that we built into our session management product as well is this concept of step-up authentication. Um, so you can uh, create a more privileged session uh, if you have a user go through um, a step-up authentication event and set a different time expiration for that. So maybe you say, okay, um, generally we want our sessions to last for 30 days, for read access, you don't need to log in too often. Session management will say, okay, this is you know Juliana's laptop and she's logged into this Chrome session um, for uh, her Stitch account or, or whatever website you're logging into, um, give her read access. And then if I go and, and try and do that more sensitive action, I do the two-factor. Maybe you only want that privileged session to last for five minutes or 10 minutes or something much tighter. Um, you can set that with our sessions. So essentially sessions will um, give you information about um, the is the user still active? Can they still view these resources? What are their permissions? What do they have access to? Um, all of those types of questions. Got it. Um, another concept, I think you mentioned this earlier and another one of your products is WebAuthn. Um, what, what is that? Yeah, so WebAuthn uh, is basically this protocol that uh, enables you to use things like a Touch ID on um, a Mac. It does YubiKeys, other hardware keys, etc. Um, and so it's a really great option for two-factor authentication because um, it is the security of like having some hardware device on you, right? It's really low friction to tap a touch ID, tap your YubiKey, whatever it might be. Um, and it's still, I think, in the early days of adoption, there aren't too many websites out there that enable this. I think Stripe and GitHub that we already talked about, definitely um, sort of first movers when it comes to uh, authentication offer both of those as options. But um, yeah, it, it's really fantastic as well because you can also use it on mobile web. Um, so if you want to do a uh, face ID on mobile um, and you want to do that from a website, you can do that really easily with WebAuthn as well. Got it. And if I'm a developer who uses Stitch, like, is are, are all of these things kind of transparent to me? Like I can just press a button and turn them on and 
if I can just enable all these different ways for my users to log in or like, what does it look like as a developer to choose which login or authentication methods a user can use? Yeah, so for the SDK integration, um, it's basically uh, some like configuration that you need to do in the code, basically select which products you want to show. Um, for the API integration, you will need to do a little bit more of that heavy lifting of integrating the different products and handling them and deciding, you know, um, what you're going to surface, et cetera. But uh, basically all of it is tied back to um, our sort of core sense of what a user is. And so um, it's really easy to add um, additional products over time too, if you want to um, expand the authentication options that a user has. I'm curious, what do you, this is a bit unrelated to your product, but I'm curious, you know, kind of for your thoughts as, as a general point on the, on the space, like, what is the future of password managers? Like, does in a world where every company uses a product like Stitch, is a password manager necessary? Um, or kind of what are your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. So um, I am a big user of a password manager. There's obviously so many accounts out there today that are still password based. And I think um, we're really bullish on passwordless as the future, but uh, I think it'll be some time before that fully proliferates. And I think even in a, in a passwordless world, you still might end up with a couple sort of like core accounts that you do need to protect with a password. Um, so an email might be one example of that. Um, so it's sort of like a, a password to rule them all or an account to rule them all. Um, so I think it's still sort of to be proven like how fast passwordless picks up. But given, I think, just like the number of online accounts that everyone has, um, I still see password managers being valuable for, for some time to come. But I think really our, our vision here at Stitch is that um, you get down to the point where you have, you know, maybe just a couple key passwords. Maybe one of those is to like a Stitch account that's your sort of like passport for the internet that lets you um, log into a bunch of different websites, et cetera. Um, and I think, yeah, your, your email account will probably continue to be something similar there. Maybe there'll be new technology in five or 10 years that um, enables us to fully get rid of that uh, sort of concept. But um, I think we still have a ways to go in, in fully proliferating passwordless. Is that one Stitch account to rule them all? Is that a, uh, a hint at potential future roadmap? Or is that really more like a long, long-term kind of goal? Yeah, I think that's definitely um, sort of a North Star that we're working towards. We're super focused right now on just building, um, you know, the developer tools to make it really easy to integrate authentication. But I think if you're thinking about what the ideal end user experience is, having the ability to um, sort of have uh, an identity store that you can carry with you across all your different online accounts, uh, passively log into them, et cetera, would be super compelling. And so it's something that we sort of, yeah, have in the back of our minds as, as a potential future um, avenue that we could go down. Beyond that, um, you know, that North Star goal, like what does the next one to two years look like on the Stitch roadmap to the, you know, to the extent you can share? 
Yeah, definitely. So I think we have a lot of sort of building blocks right now, and we still, um, you know, ask that developers put those building blocks together in a lot of ways. And so just continuing to invest in making it really easy and fast to get up and running with authentication, not have to spend any time thinking about um, what you need to be integrating, how it all fits together, all of that, and just doing more and more of that um, sort of like heavy lifting abstracting away uh, more when it comes to authentication. So uh, yeah, excited to continue to deepen as well as still um, add net new products as well over the next few years. Got it. I'm curious um, in the competitive landscape. So I imagine most folks nowadays are familiar with Auth0. Um, They were one of the earlier developer-focused Auth platforms. Um, they were acquired by Okta recently for you know a large big deal, and then I've seen we, we spoke to the folks from Clerk who are kind of a more modern um, developer focused um, auth platform. I know I believe AWS and Google have some kind of auth options and tools for developers. Firebase. So there's a lot of other companies out there. I'm curious how you view those different classes of competitors and maybe compare and contrast um, how Stitch. Um, approaches the market. Yeah, definitely. So I think the analogy that um, is sort of the most apt, if it is sometimes overused, is the Stripe for authentication. And so I think we see um, a lot of those other competitors out there as, you know, they offer um, a great product, right? If you need to get authentication built, you can make it happen with them, but they don't offer really clean developer interfaces and an API first solution. And so that's what we see as sort of like the big differentiator here is focusing both on the developer experience as well as the end user experience and giving people a lot of flexibility when it comes to how you integrate the product um, so that you can um, own a lot of that branding, own the experiences, et cetera. Um, So yeah, I think Auth0 has done Um, some awesome stuff in this space. We see them a lot. I have some experience working with them in the past as well. And um, yeah, they were definitely sort of like a pioneer in authentication as a service. I think because they were built around passwords, um, a lot of their product architecture is very password centric. And so with passwordless, you can lean into things like the API for solution because you don't have to worry about uh, developers collecting and storing password information. So a lot of Auth0's architecture is around um, sort of their like login form, right? And so we just have more flexibility because we're passwordless first by nature. Um, And so I think that flexibility is like the number one thing that we go back to in terms of how we differentiate against those other uh, competitors in the space. So I'm curious to learn a bit about how you actually started Stitch. So you mentioned that, um, I think you said you and your co-founder were working at Plaid. Is that... um... Is that right? Yeah, so we'd met working together at Plaid. I had left Plaid in um, 2019 uh, to join a company called Very Good Security. Uh, I worked on product there. And so uh, my co-founder Reed and I had basically stayed friends after Plaid and, um, you know, would do a like monthly coffee catch up. And so it was over one of those catch ups that we were complaining about how hard it was to be building some of these authentication experiences. Um, and I was working with Auth0 at the time. He was working with AWS 
cognito. We're like, this is really frustrating. Like, why isn't there that Stripe for authentication? And so that was sort of the initial spark that um, sort of led us down a path of, of doing a bunch of discovery, talking to potential customers, et cetera, to try and figure out, like, were we missing some vendor on the market that really was serving those needs? Or uh, was this a more universally felt pain point? And I think just kept hearing over and over again from people that they were really frustrated with whatever it was they'd uh, chosen for auth, whether that be uh, using a vendor or building in-house. And um, people seem to be excited about uh, sort of the approach that we were considering. And so that gave us the conviction to to go and, and quit our day jobs and start the company. And then after that, did you build out a prototype and then raise money or kind of what was your order of operations? Yeah, so we raised our seed round pretty quickly after leaving our jobs. I think we had a really clear idea of the product that we were looking to build from all of those discovery conversations that uh, we'd had. We had like a very rough sort of prototype built, but I, I think the interesting piece was more the like vision and, and product roadmap. And so um, raised the seed round in basically June of 2020, and then went out and, and hired a few engineers that joined our team um, in September of 2020. And then from there, um, sort of built out our alpha product um, and launched to beta in like January of 2021. Awesome. And, and you raised a, a very big series, series B, series A um, recently. That was, I think, 90 million announced. Um, so what are the plans for, for all of that capital in terms of growing over the next few years? Yeah, definitely. A lot of hiring, um, a lot of hiring engineers, <laughs> yeah. but really across the board. Um, I think we, yeah, we are super excited about sort of the traction that we have today and um, have a lot more products and just product functionality uh, to build out as well. And so um, the money is, is really going towards uh, building out the team and, and continuing to invest in our product. I'm curious on the subject of um, traction and monetization. How does the pricing model work? Um, I know um, one of the complaints about Auth0 is that it get you get hooked and then it gets expensive and then it's it's hard to switch off once once you're kind of built your whole infrastructure around a given authentication provider. So I'm curious how you yeah how you think about your pricing and how your pricing scales as a customer scales. Yeah, so we price around monthly active users. And so uh, it's important to us to sort of like tie our um, pricing structure to the users that our customers are getting value from, right? And so that's why it's a monthly active user. Um, and we, our rack rates are basically 10 cents per monthly active user. Um, and then as people go and scale with us, um, we always uh, want to have a conversation with them about how we can um, figure out something that will work uh, as they go and scale. And so um, we see that happening and, and being um, a pretty compelling sort of like metric to tie to because people um, tend to know what their monthly active users are. They tend to have like projections as well. And so we find it to be really simple and straightforward, which has sort of been our number one thing when it comes to pricing. I'm curious, like, one of the struggles I often hear companies kind of debating when they do a monthly active user-based pricing is that in in a B2B company, if you sell to both B2B and B2C, 
in B2C, you have a much larger number of monthly, or usually a much larger number of monthly active users, but your value per user is low. And then B2B, smaller number of MAUs, but higher value per user. So I'm curious how you think about pricing. I imagine you, you know, the product's applicable to both B2B and B2C. How do you think about kind of that, that challenge in terms of pricing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it, it comes up a lot. And I think over time, as we build out more sort of use case specific products, we probably will um, start to differentiate a little bit on pricing there as we build more sort of like B2B specific ones in particular. I think that will um, that will be a, a natural sort of inflection point to revisit that. But for now, uh, I think we found that um, it, we may be leaving some on the table with those B2B use cases, but um, given that the product is, is very similar across both, we, um, we haven't sort of tried to differentiate there on the pricing. Well, Juliana, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been awesome learning about Stitch, and it's really exciting to hear about all your progress. Um, for folks who want to check it out, the website is stitch.com. That's S-T-Y-T-C-H. Um, so make sure you type that in correctly. Um, any other resources you would recommend if people want to learn about the platform aside from your website? I think finding us on Twitter is always good. We're Stitch Auth on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, Juliana E. Lamb. I'm always happy to chat with people. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at Log Rocket. <laughs>